Welcome to Shining Through, a podcast about resiliency and your mental health. My name is Kelly Waters. I'm a 25-year-old living with bipolar disorder 1, ADHD, and generalized anxiety disorder. My mental health used to control my life. Now I control my life. I spent the last six years of my life learning how to manage bipolar, and I've created this podcast to share what I've learned and continue to learn. In this episode, I'm going to talk about eight habits that help me maintain a normal life while I live with bipolar disorder 1. I'm going to start with some background. After my first manic episode, when I received a bipolar 1 diagnosis, I felt overwhelmed by the amount of lifestyle changes that were recommended to me all at the same time. I had no real desire to change my life, and I wanted to go back to exactly what it was like before I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and experienced mania. That mentality led me to hospital stay after hospital stay because I wasn't making changes that I needed to make to improve my life and to live with bipolar. I was in the hospital eight times between the ages of 19 and 22, both for depressive episodes and for manic episodes. I had to take breaks from college, but during those breaks, I wasn't making any real changes. It was until I literally couldn't afford to finish school where I wanted to that I had to reflect on what wasn't working and really begin embracing advice for people that are living with bipolar disorder. A step-by-step changed my lifestyle in accordance with the advice I could access. Now I'm 25. It's been three years since I've had any episode that was extreme enough for the need of a partial or full hospitalization. With the changes I've made, I've seen my moods move to a much more stable place in general during my day-to-day, and I've been able to take on more normal life challenges. I moved states, I finished college, I made new friends, I started a 9-to-5 And I've done all of this without dealing with extreme manic or depressive disruptions. I wish I could go back and tell my younger self during those years that things would become more stable soon and I should start listening to the advice that there is. But either way, I'm excited to share the little things that went a long way on my path towards managing bipolar with you now. The first habit I'm going to talk about is getting enough sleep. This is a piece of advice that I ignored for so long, but at the same time, I also think it's the most influential change that you can make when you have bipolar disorder. When I was in college, I was struggling with negative memories from my manic episodes. I've always experienced very traumatic, paranoid manic episodes, and I would struggle with recalling things afterwards, sort of in a CPTSD sort of way. So I would do anything to stay distracted when I wasn't studying or with friends and for me to stay distracted I played a lot of video games. So I spent almost all my time outside of studying on video games and as a result I was not getting as much sleep as I should get. There would be weeks where I stayed up till 11 studying then stayed up till 4 playing video games then slept 3 hours and woke up for class. Then when I triggered a manic episode I would wonder why that was happening. Lack of sleep in my experience was one of the biggest contributing factors to triggering the manic episodes I experienced. Lack of sleep is also associated with triggering depressive episodes. In my case, I had to address some of that trauma that went along with previous manic episodes and detach from using video games as a coping mechanism. Hitting the low of having to leave my college pushed me over the edge with this. I've not been severely manic since I've changed my lifestyle to entail 7-8 to hours of sleep regularly. Right now, I am much more connected to my mood and I can tell when I'm a little bit down or I'm threatening to go into a manic state. Now I see a direct connection between nights where I'm lacking sleep and my mood the following day. Overall, to maximize mood stability, getting proper sleep is, I think, the most influential habit. The second habit I want to talk about is being active. 
As I was growing up, I did not consider myself an athletic person. When I was growing up, I had anxiety and untreated ADHD. So when it came to team sports, it was like a form of torture for me. When it was time for gym class in school, I would purposely not wear athletic clothing so that I had to sit out. My view on exercise outside of sports, as in the gym, was that it was a way that you punished yourself for eating poorly and that the only motivator for working out was being unhappy with your body. In many of the hospital days I participated in, being active was brought up as one of the most important skills to combat depression and maintain good moods. But it always felt like something that was not going to be a part of my tool belt because being athletic or active was not part of my identity. I remember sitting in amazement as someone explained that they saw lifting weights as a crucial part of their day in a group therapy that I did. I thought at the time that I would never in a million years live that way. One year when I was in college, I got really into the habit of working out, but the factor behind it was that I was unhappy with my body. Despite the motivating factor, I probably experienced one of the longest periods of stability of my early 20s. And later on, when I struggled with more depression and reflected on that time, I realized the impact that working out had on my mood. I do believe that this didn't last as a habit for me because of how negative the motivating factor was. Since this time, I've listened to a lot of wellness podcasts and read a lot of different things, and I've changed my outlook on working out. I realized that the motivating factor behind working out does not have to be a dissatisfaction with your body. It could really be a desire to purposely improve your mood in a natural and healthy way to build a better, healthy lifestyle for yourself. I can't say that I didn't want to see changes in my body ever, but hating myself to get there was not a healthy motivator and didn't lead to long-lasting results. So what I did instead is I learned to love my body every step of the way by focusing on what it allowed me to do and I practiced affirmations as I integrated fitness into my life. I started to view exercise differently and I made it a consistent habit. I also realized that my identity can be whatever I want it to be and I started to tell myself that I was an active athletic person. The affirmations that really worked for me was telling myself I loved my body as I stared in the mirror, telling myself I love my body does XYZ for me, and telling myself that I'm an active person, I'm an athletic person, I love this, I love that, until it just became the truth. The most helpful for, thing for me with making a habit out of movement was finding classes that I really enjoyed and that I could attend at the same time each week. Right now, my favorite classes are spin yoga and kickboxing. And if you're on a budget, this is not sponsored, but I'm glad someone told me about this, so I'm going to tell you about it. There's an app called ClassPass where you can buy credits and try different studios out without becoming a member. It's a lot cheaper and it's less of a commitment than signing up for a studio. I also faced some gym anxiety when I started to work out because I didn't know how to use the equipment or really how to act in the gym. And the way that I faced this is I found girls my age to work out with that could kind of show me the ropes. The way that I found girls to work out with was using the app Bumble BFF and also using Facebook groups just to find other people that were into working out and wanted to find girls to work out with. For me, it's a little bit easier because I live near a city, so there's tons of people that move here and want to meet other people, but I know this could be harder in the suburbs. Something that I did before I lived in the city is I watched specific exercises on YouTube and I made myself a plan for the gym in a Google Doc. 
I wrote down the exercise. I put pictures of how to do the exercise and I brought that with me to the gym. Literally printed out when I was in college, but sometimes I look at it on my phone now. And um, I felt more confident because I had seen someone do the exercise before and I had the reminder on my phone of how to do it. The third habit I want to talk about is finding ways to express my emotions through writing, music, and art. A big theme for people with bipolar disorder is having extreme emotions. And we feel things at a level that not everybody else does. So letting thoughts and experiences swarm inside of me often sent me spiraling upwards or downwards. Another big theme for people with bipolar disorder is increased creativity, which is literally backed by science. I read it in Unwinding the Creative Mind that the way that our brains work lead to increased creativity. Anyway, to deal with the overwhelming emotions, from a young age, I started to write them out in form of journaling. From journaling, I would be inspired to write poetry or music to explain my feelings in a more artistic way. And I was also inspired to create artwork to reflect what I was thinking as I grew up. When I started to write music, I knew nothing about it, but I found that I really enjoyed the process of letting my emotions out that way. The biggest thing I had to do to let this creative outlet serve me was let go of the end result being perfect and just let out what I could create at the level of the skill that I had. When I let go of the idea of making perfect pieces and just used music as an outlet, it became one of the best tools for me to work through my feelings and turn into something that I could share with other people when I never knew how to put the words quite right before. Okay, the fourth habit I'm going to talk about is diet, and this tip was not obvious to me, even though it was also brought up in a lot of hospital programs that I participated in. I was advised to eat heart healthy for my mood, and I honestly did not believe that eating any sort of way would have a profound impact on my mood, and I didn't really understand why it was important until I got other habits under control. So once I had stable sleep and a good amount of exercise, I became more sensitive to small deviations in my mood based on diet. I could tell that the way I felt after eating a healthy meal was different than how I felt after I ate something like fast food. When I ate a good meal, I would feel more energetic and more happy in a sustained way versus when I would eat something like a fast food or a comfort food, I would get an immediate spike of dopamine that would wear off and then I would feel worse. I realized that eating a comfort food in the moment could provide me with a quick spike of happiness and relief, but it would usually cost me a dissipation in my good mood in the long term for the day. My moods would be lower, my energy would be depleted. When I was growing up, I always saw dieting as a very extreme thing that you only really implemented when you wanted to lose weight, and I was adverse to implementing anything too strict on the way that I ate. But I found another podcaster, her name's Shelby Sacco. Her podcast is Sad to Savage, and it's a very awesome podcast about wellness and habits. And anyway, her advice was to eat 60 to 80% healthy. So you're not really cutting out anything, but you're maintaining the majority of your diet being good for you, good for your moods, etc. So... The ways that I implemented this is meal prepping, having strict grocery lists, but at the same time, not saying no to a girl's night with pizza. Honestly, this 60 to 
idea is something that I apply to most of my habits. For example, if my friends go out one night, I might go out with them and lose a little bit of sleep, but I make sure this is not an all the time thing and that if it does happen, I'm prepared to take the steps I need to do to deal with the after effects on my mood. Overall, the way that you eat does affect your mood and you'll notice this more as you get different habits under control. The fifth habit that I have is I constantly reflect on my moods. It's been suggested to me by a lot of people to keep a mood journal, which I try to do, and I also enjoy journaling when I have extreme emotions or just a lot of thoughts that I need to get out. Sometimes I start to show signs of depression through patterns that I don't consciously recognize until I reflect on my day. The more that you journal or reflect on your mood, the easier it will be to identify the signs as they arise of either mania or depression. Additionally, if you journal on your moods in your day and you do go through a depressive or manic episode, you can use that as a tool afterwards to see what kind of things are signs you can look out for in the future. The more that you journal or reflect on your mood, the easier the signs will be to recognize as they're arising. Reflecting on your moods with a journal will also help you understand how different habits are helping you or hurting you. You can associate what you did in the past few days to where your moods are. You can look at how much sleep you got, what you were eating, if you were being active, who you were spending your time with. Overall, the more in touch you are with your mood, the easier it is to keep them stable and the easier it is to realize when you need to step in and intervene before a depressive or manic episode takes over. Sixth habit that I'm talking about is never miss medication doses and take them at the same time every day. Believe it or not, but before I was treated for ADHD, taking my medicine at the right time seemed kind of impossible. Especially when I was in college, I was never going to sleep or waking up at the same time, and that made things really difficult when it came to my medication. With a little more structure in my life and my brain, and a new consistency, I've become a lot better at making sure that I take medicine every day and at the same time. I found that if I miss one dose, it will impact me for the days to come. When I was more disconnected from my mood, I was not aware of how much of an impact this was having on me, but now I can feel the effect very strongly. Missing medications can be an added factor in setting off episodes and disrupting your moods. And it's not uncommon to forget once or in a while. It's pretty human. But after a couple of days, it can start to be even more impactful. I still notice an impact after one day and really recommend you do what it takes to make sure that you take your medicine every day and at the same time. An alarm on your phone is a very simple way to keep track of this. The seventh habit I'm going to talk about is routine, and every habit becomes easier to maintain when you have a good routine. You will get your sleep because it's part of your routine to go to sleep at a certain time. You'll eat good food because it's part of your routine to shop for it and to cook it. You'll be active if you make it a part of your routine because you will have those days that you show up and that you're active. I've always found that the more structure and routine I have, the more managed my bipolar disorder is. I'm not opposed to changes in routines either. I literally up and move states with no real plan but to continue waitressing and finish school online and disrupt every part of structure that my life had. And it was the best decision I ever made, but I established a routine as soon as I settled in the new state. 
Sometimes I felt like advice for bipolar disorder was basically telling me that I couldn't do things that everyone else could do, but that's not true at all. I could still move states, I could still change my life, but there is definitely habits to implement as you do this to keep things under control. Most of the advice for bipolar disorder is honestly correlated to feeling healthy and happy in the most natural ways that anyone else could implement in their own life to feel happier and healthier. So it doesn't mean that you can't do crazy fun things still. It's just the way that you manage your mental health so that you can succeed and still have the ability to do crazy fun things. I'm always open to good changes and I'm also open to spontaneous events that pop up, but overall, I try to have a structured routine to my best ability and that helps me enjoy those moments to the fullest while I stay healthy, employed, stable, and happy as I manage bipolar. My final habit, number eight, is to minimize substance use. This is another piece of advice I wasn't ready for in my early college years, but as I got more and more medicine added to my plate with no real idea of how it was affecting me, I knew I had to stop using substances. I was completely sober for a long time and I used that time to figure out what the best treatment was for me. Being completely sober is strongly recommended for people with bipolar disorder because alcohol is a depressant and puts you at risk for depression. Other substances can affect your brain in opposing ways to medication, so you don't know how the medication is really working for you. I've never met a psychiatrist who found that those other substances were effective ways to treat bipolar disorder, and I personally don't think that they can be based on my own experience, but I know it's different for everyone. Either way, I still enjoy socially drinking with friends these days, and it's not catalyzed any episodes for me as I maintain my mental health with all these other habits. But something else to consider is the correlation between bipolar disorder and substance dependency. In some cases, it's better to be sober completely if there's any hidden dependency. I enjoy a night out every once in a while, but I know the consequences of substances on my mood and I keep them to a minimum. All right, that concludes the first episode of Shining Through, a podcast about resiliency in your mental health. My name is Kelly, and I hope you enjoyed it.